Hi, and welcome to Allegedly Fabulous. My name is Kevin Loftus, and I am your host and producer. We talk all about pop culture, politics, true crime, personal stuff, and honestly, just whatever comes up. You know what I mean? But everything is alleged. Do not at me. So let's get into it. Thank you so much for listening. Let's chat. Love you. Welcome back to Allegedly Fabulous. This is The Woman and Me Part 2. I am reading Britney Spears' memoir, The Woman and Me. And again, this is going to be kind of a close read slash analysis. I'm going to open with some general thoughts on the second piece that I read. And then I'll go in through like all the notable pieces that I think were new. But I read from basically around 2001, 2002, all of the Justin stuff and the breakup with Justin to as far as her getting into the conservatorship. And dear Lord, it was dark. It is a really, really dark, dark series of events painting a picture of a woman who makes, like has some issues and some struggles, and then it's just like eternally, eternally screwed over by the people around her, um, and just taken advantage of, and just none of these people had like the wherewithal or the sense or the wisdom or the kindness to do better by her, but at the same time, like she, she, she lost capability, I think, to do it for herself somewhere along the way, and that was taken advantage of. So really, really dark, so dark, oh my God. Um, she does, she's pretty open about it. Like, to be honest, this is a short book, guys. There was so much in it. Um, she says part two is coming next year of the book, which I think is interesting. I'll be curious like where that goes. Um, I'm also hoping that the end of the book is a little bit brighter, to be honest, because this is just so hard. Um, like, she's still funny in it and stuff, but, like, compared to the beginning of the book, like, there's just very little happiness to be found here because so many things in her life just go really, really, really badly from pretty much the Justin breakup on. Um, it's kind of shocking how much of a catalyst the Justin breakup was really for everything because she really lost it and she kind of never found it back, I think, after that point. And um, yeah, just a really, really tough read. But anyway, let's get into it. So one of the things that she says that we didn't know about, or at least I didn't know or didn't remember, is that she was offered L- Lucy Liu's role in the Chicago movie that came out in like 2002 or something. Um, and she said no to it for many reasons, but she it's like one of her regrets because... It would have been a fun thing for her to do. She had control at that time. Um, I do think it would have been a great role for her because it was like kind of a bad girl, um, like a crazy bad girl. And like, she was an incredible dancer. She would have picked up all the dancing so quick. Um, And it would have been cool for her to be, take us, I always think it's a good move for someone with high profile like her to take a small role in a big movie rather than be a lead of your own movie because it comes with so much skepticism when you lead your own movie but if you do something like a Chicago people start to see you 
in that way. Um, so yeah, it would have been great for her. Um, but yeah, that didn't happen. And I love Lucy Liu as well. But I watched the Lucy Liu clip and wasn't like that into it. Because I'd never seen the movie. So I was like, let me see what role she's talking about. And I was like, to be honest, Brittany actually would have been better in this. She mentions, she mentions that her and Justin lived in Orlando. Which is so funny. I never knew that. All right. Like, so weird to me. Like, what the hell were they doing living in Orlando? Like, wouldn't they live in LA or New York or the South? Like, I don't really get it. But... That is so interesting. I actually want to know more about that. Like, what brought them there? But she basically says, you know, they were living there and she would go back between touring or between whatever she was doing for two weeks or sometimes up to two months to hang out with him. And she's, she talks about, you know, the double denim moment, which I love. And the way she tells these stories just really makes it clear that these were all her ideas. All these, like, incredibly... I think that's like one of her major unique once in a lifetime lightning in a bottle talent talents is to like capture the zeitgeist like that. She just knows, she just intrinsically knows. First of all, it's an instinct of like what she likes and what she wants to do. She basically said like when she was small, her mom would dress them all up the same for church sometimes. She'd be like, come on, we're all going to coordinate this time. And they would all go to church, all coordinated, which I think is funny. It seems like a very 80s or 90s American thing to do. Like, I'm remember, I'm like thinking about the holiday cards that you sometimes get from like your American cousin, or at least I did growing up. So that's kind of where she was going with the double denim, um, and she just wanted to, but she was like, I didn't think my stylist would go for it, or that, or even if they did, that Justin would. Um, but they did, and she says she still loves that moment. Like, she loves people, she loves to see people wearing it for Halloween or whatever, and they had like a great time. So I thought that was cool. Um, she says that Justin was cheating on her at least a couple times that she knew of. Um, once with somebody from All Saints, she was, he was pictured like holding hands with her and going back to a hotel together when he was in London. One of the girls from All Saints, that's Googleable, I'm sure, but like I don't really care about any of them, so I didn't bother. And also another time, one of her friends told her that like he was bragging about having hit one of the dancers the night before when he was out one night or something, but she wasn't sure if he was just bragging because he's high, because he was high at the moment. Um, he just seems so douchey. And I love how like she keeps dropping in, like that everybody else was high. Um, like her parents and Justin, like, which I think is so fair because everyone accuses her of doing all this stuff. She also talks a lot about how she just adored him. Um, and so when it came to her getting pregnant, like she would have had the kid. She, she like, she was very much like, oh, the timing is off, but like what's done is done. But like Justin wasn't keen on it and she really didn't want to like put him in that position. So she agreed to get an abortion. And the part that she like 100% regrets is that like they didn't want it to become a story. So they just got the medication to do it at home and then she didn't even get to see a doctor and it was incredibly painful and she had no pain relief and Justin was just like an idiot and just started playing the guitar behind beside her while she was like lying on the bathroom floor crying and screaming for like an hour um with just Justin and Felicia who knew about the whole thing um and yeah she says that that stayed with her for a very long time so it's interesting when she gets to the breakup so she admits something that had long been rumored that she was 
unfaithful and that she kissed her choreographer Wade Robson on a night out. Wade Robson is well known for being an incredible choreographer having I think Britney Spears is his most notable work but he did a lot of her really iconic stuff like the Dream Within a Dream Tour, the I'm a Slave for You choreography, I think much more I'm sure like overprotected like a lot of other things. He's also well known because he Michael Jackson like discovered him and then he alleges that Michael Jackson later abused him like that he became Michael Jackson's basically boyfriend when he was like eight or something and I've seen the HBO documentary and I have to say that I believe him and I believe the other accuser as well it's just too specific it's too real and it's a very eerie 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 disturbing disturbing documentary but well worth a watch and this is no hate to Michael or the Jacksons or anybody and I'm someone who's like kind of an advocate for like we can still appreciate the music and what Michael did for music but also acknowledge that like he was unwell and that he I believe he was a pedophile um and uh, yeah the stories in that documentary are something else but I won't get into it now but so she kissed him on a night out, she says, when she was drunk and she told, she, she admitted it to Justin. I don't know if she was forthcoming about it or he found out about it and confronted her and that he eventually forgave her. They worked through it. So she then basically says like that wasn't the immediate predecessor to the breakup. But how she says it is that looking back, she should have seen it coming. She believes that he started getting more distant as he was recording his solo album and it sounds like it might have been planted in Justin's head or maybe it was his idea that he was going to basically use Britney and the breakup with Britney and shaming Britney and everything as a major publicity piece to push his album, which like is really like he obviously did end up doing that. He obviously did end up shaming her and, you know, publicly shaming her with the Crimea River music video and everything that he said about her publicly and just really pushing the Britney hate um, wagon that started. Um, but it's if he was really planning it back while they were still together for months and months and months before they broke up, that's even more vile. That's like sell your soul to the devil type stuff. But she basically says like she should have seen it coming. He was getting less affectionate and just pulling away from her. And then he eventually broke up with her while she was on the set of the music video for the overprotected remix which is an incredible video um and she basically says that it was so devastating to her that she could not she could barely speak for months and she could only burst into tears when justin was mentioned and that she ended up like going back to louisiana basically becoming comatose um And this whole thing really starts to feel like the true beginning of her more serious mental issues that we later, that we really start to see like massively speed up um, and evolve in the next few years. But she took the breakup extremely hard, which honestly, as a fan, like you wouldn't have known because she just wasn't very visible in this time, I remember. She obviously needed to take a break. Um, I don't think she took a massively long break, but she did take some time out in Louisiana. She basically says at this time, just the shaming, the public shaming was so intense. 
Um, she started to believe and agree that she was in the wrong for the breakup, um, which it sounds like there there wasn't necessarily anyone to blame. Like the relationship ended, she, like she doesn't say, say even why Justin, what reason Justin gave. So I don't think there's anybody necessarily to blame for the breakup. It's just the way that it was handled was so harsh on her, so insensitive to her. Um, and possibly triggered some underlying issues. I think she's such a people pleaser and she just put Justin on such a massive pedestal and she says she loved his family so much she would spend all her holidays with the family. Even Jamie Lynn says she loved Justin and Justin's family and that he was like a good example for her as a kid and um, everybody, Brittany included, expected them to end up together. So it was just a major, major blow for her and in terms of being shamed and belittled you know she talks about different examples like going to a Lakers game with Jamie Lynn and being booed and just these things and I remember really viscerally as a kid like this time like you know people were just brutal like people were just like oh she's a she's like a slut or she's a loser like she just didn't work up with her like she's nothing now like her career is over like people she went from being everyone's favorite to the easiest girl to make fun of at a time where like slut shaming culture was like at a really nasty peak in pop culture and it's so disgusting and like it's just so dark it's just so dark and awful one thing i do think is really interesting and like forthcoming and kind of makes sense is like you know there was also the whole thing where she had kind of been coerced into pretending that she was a virgin early on in her career and that never really sat well with her she admits in the book she'd been sexually active since she was 14 because she had like that 18 year old boyfriend or whatever who she really loved you know brian's her brother's best friend um and so that never really fit in well with her but she just went along with it because she was a people pleaser and didn't really know what she was doing and whatever um, Justin was the one who went on radio interviews and pred- said some pretty vile things about her just being like joking about like, yeah, how he had effed her. Like, just like in really gross terms being like, nah, she's like lying about that. Like she's, she's a freak basically. And like, we've done everything under the sun and we've been doing everything under the sun. And like, it's just like very ungentlemanly at best to say it um and just one of the reasons that like in the 2023 lens like but in most lenses honestly even at the time I was like this is like a nasty thing to say like and I was watching this as a kid just being like that's like that's nasty where's your respect for her I mean we think we all knew that but now it's just like so vile like this like general general consensus that like it's really vile and damaging to say stuff like that about somebody So, but actually Brittany was like, to be honest, that was the one thing that I felt happy about. I felt like it took this weight off me um, and allowed me to be freer and like acknowledged more like who I actually was. She references bouts of sadness here. um, And it sounds like something that she had been dealing with all her life. So I'm taking that as like depressive episodes. So she then, you know, she tries to pick herself up and she moves to New York to this gorgeous apartment that Sherry used to own. 
Um, but instead of like really enjoying the city, she kind of becomes a recluse, spends a lot of time in her apartment and she's kind of happy being a homebody. Um, she's just doing the best she can. Like a friend comes and takes her out and she has a fun night. Madonna visits her and tries to help her, like indoctrinates her in Kabbalah and gives her all these books to pray with. And um, she says she really appreciated like the help and the wisdom from Madonna and, and the sense that like Madonna had been through similar things and kind of could really guide her. And I think that maybe gave her some perspective, but she's very much, very much struggling during this time. She also talks about going to um, Donatella Versace's show in Milan or Venice. I'm not sure. I think Milan um, in, I guess this is fall 2002 now. Um, to try and get her like confidence back and Donatella being like such a gracious host and really good to her and she was supposed to sing but like at this point like her nerves are just shot so she backs out of singing last minute but she just greets everybody and um, and she talks about the social anxiety she faced around this time which she understands is hard for people to understand because she could go on stage and be so confident and kill it but like if she's in a room with just two people she would be like biting her nails off, like wouldn't know what to say, all the stuff. So she's just dealing with so much mental stuff and she acknowledges as well. Like I, now people talk about this stuff all the time, but back then there wasn't really any words for it. Um, she uses the word weird a few times, you know? So then we get into the In The Zone album era, which is one of my favorites i absolutely adore it um that's me against the music toxic every time she was super hands-on with this one writing and even producing some of it um she talks fondly about the era except for the touring she basically says like she just wasn't ready to tour again her heart wasn't in it um her she was in a pretty dark headspace still and the tour reflects that and she wasn't really happy with looking back she's not really happy with the tour like how sexual it was and stuff and it was, she was kind of just like going through it at that time um and this is essentially when she meets kvid and she basically says that what she you know she met him in a club one night in la like while she was off for a week or something i guess or maybe before she went on tour i don't know and she says what the the connection with him was just it was more than sexual it was extremely intimate and the one thing that he did for her, which nobody had ever done, was he would just hold her for as long as she wanted to be held. They would, like, hang out in the pool, and he would just hold her, and he wouldn't stop until she said she was okay. And I think that's really telling. I think she just needed, she needed care. She needed mental health and care. And she found that in him, and unfortunately, it just... It didn't last that long. So she starts having her babies. Um, and I'm going to go through a lot like pretty quickly now, but basically. Okay, so let's talk about. Yeah, let's talk about KFED. So basically, her and KFED go on this whirlwind romance. She ends up injuring her knee and canceling the last thing of her tour and then kind of like setting up shop in LA and basically just being like I oh yeah she announces she needs a break and she says that that made everybody 
really nervous around her and she says she drops her managers and everything and she writes on her website this note which I remember really vividly being like I've just been like my life has probably seemed crazy the last two years oh yeah there was the whole marriage and everything the 55 hour marriage so like she's getting into like erratic she's been getting into erratic behavior she just doesn't know what to do with herself like the marriage came about when she was off for like five days over the winter um without a schedule and didn't really know what like how to handle herself and she ended up just like going on a bender and getting married to somebody and didn't understand it and her parents freaked out and everything so she is starting to it wasn't like that serious and everybody was really nasty to her and judged her um but she's starting to she's starting to get like pretty erratic though you know what I mean and starting to kind of lose her grip on like managing her own stuff which is, it's hard to hear again. It was hard to watch, but it's hard to hear in her words as well. So she marries Kayfed and she's so in love with him. She's really in love with him and she starts having kids with him. And basically, and he, he was really concerned about wanting to make his own name for himself and she was encouraging of that. And he ended up deciding to pursue a rap career. And long story short, he starts recording a lot and then he goes like out of town to record and then he basically she's just like I just thought he should have came back like every two weeks and spent more time with me or every couple months and spent more time with me and she basically he doesn't and she tried to visit him once and she says he didn't let him see her um which he later denied but you know that was her experience and blah 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 this kind of goes on until the complete disintegration of the marriage when at one point her attorney says like if you don't divorce him he's gonna divorce you the point where they like he completely checked out of the marriage basically is how she tells the story and that's kind of how all accounts go i think he would say that she was too difficult to deal with probably but from her perspective he just he stopped being how he was before and he completely checked out of the marriage and kind of went after the money and the fame and everything that's basically what she says which seems pretty close to what happened. She also talks about just her own, how her own personality was affected by the pregnancies. I think the pregnancies itself were good, but basically after, especially after the second one, she says, these are her quotes, she said she became mean as hell. She would just lash out at people. She says she just was like a crazy person and she had like this nasty side of her personality that was coming out and she also says that she was acting like childlike in ways and she says i know i got really weird in that time that's not a direct quote but she does use the word weird a few times so you know she says i think she says the word postpartum depression as well she also um lost her aunt at this time so she was grieving and she was really, really struggling with the paparazzi and the negative media attention. Like, she couldn't please them. Everybody was calling her trash and him trash. And it was just too much for her. And I think everything made it worse. Like, uh, everything that she did just made it worse. Everything she did just made it worse. So she pretty much lost her agency and her mind a little bit during this time, it sounds like. So then when she files from for a divorce from KFED, like everything honestly just gets even worse because, because she files, she has to pay his attorney fees and 
within no time, they're locked in this really precarious custody battle. And she's just, like, been so fucked over. You know, she pretty much gave up her career, more or less. Gave up her career and her public image and all the pretend of the celebrity and the Britney Spears of it all. And the highest, you know, the biggest celebrity in the world. Like, at the top of her game. She gave it all up for this man and to have his kids. And she stayed at home for two years and had the kids. And he, as good as left her. There's cheating rumors, there's infidelity rumors about him too, but even if he didn't cheat, like he left her to try and become some sort of new Eminem, uh, which obviously didn't work out. He pretty much left her, and then as soon as they file for divorce, he's saying that she's an unfit parent and he's fighting for custody of the kids, which is really the only thing that she cares about in the world at this point and the only thing that she wants. And everything just, everything just keeps getting worse. She's essentially dealing with a huge amount of rage and grief at this point. And she is, and Kevin's taking the kids for like weeks at a time and not giving them back is what she says. And she, she talks about the head shaving and she basically says it was a major fuck you to the world. It was just fuck you to everyone, to everyone who wanted her to be so perfect all the time to everyone who thought she was a bad mom to Kevin to her family to just everything she knew how much her hair was a big part of her image and she just wanted rid of it and she just got rid of it and yeah anyway after one of her like more erratic incidences or whatever or something that was perceived as erratic but she's going through so much rage and grief and she's just not handling it handling it well they force her to go to rehab they basically say like you know it's going to help your custody fight and you have to go to rehab and she's just pretty she's like i really had more of a rage and grief issue than any kind of substance abuse issue but it's irrelevant and she says that jamie her father came to the rehab and called and said you're a disgrace just was so nasty to her he makes me so sick makes me so sick like as if that's as if that's going to help someone who's dealing with rage and grief and needs help. It's just so crazy. The custody fight is heating up. She has a former bodyguard accuse her of like using drugs, but then he was never cross-examined. I thought it was interesting though that she acknowledged this accusation because there's so much, there's so much like over the years that like I wouldn't have remembered if she skipped over this. But then she also says the court, court appointed like social worker who had been supervising her said like she was a doting mother, loved the kids and there was nothing close to abuse in the home. So it's just awful. But like I do have to say like and as the biggest Britney fan and someone who has so much empathy for what was going on with her, like she wasn't able to pull it together and she wasn't able to she wasn't able to play by the rules and do the smart thing to, to get it done. She just wasn't able. She was just, she had lost her capacity somewhere along the way. And, and this is where it all starts with the talk of the conservatorship, right? I'm obviously going super high level. Like there's so, so many incidents at this time. Like there's all the paparazzi stuff. There's her quote-unquote almost dropping one of the kids and like having the kid on her lap when she's driving and 
all the chases, the crazy chases, etc., etc., and ongoing issues with sharing custody with with Kevin over the kids and come um early 2008 I believe oh yeah she talks about sorry they gave me more performance as well but I mean she basically just says she loved the album um it's her favorite one and she went to do the VMAs and she just wasn't ready and nothing went right but like end of the day she just was not ready to have a performance like that um and that was what it was but it was just another another stab at her like she admits that she was sobbing hysterically backstage it just was like blow after blow she was still in free fall and like there was obviously nobody like able to help her and she wasn't able to help herself so anyway come 2008 um she's still having these custody issues with kfed and one time her former bodyguard who now works for KFED comes to pick up the kids and he takes John Preston and then Brittany just panics and just has a thing of like, what if this is the last time I see my babies? And she grabs Jaden and runs into the bathroom and locks him, locks him in and she's just like, I need more time, I need more time. And her friend who's there is like, okay, it's okay, like he'll wait for you, he'll wait for you. Um but I don't know how long they waited or if they didn't wait, but they basically called the police and the SWAT team broke down the door and then she got strapped to a gurney. Um, and, you know, there's helicopter photos of her strapped to the gurney and she got taken to Cedar sinai on a 72-hour hold. She got let go before the hold was over, but the damage was done and her um, her rights to see the children were even reduced were reduced then because obviously like you can see how that incident could have looked and whatever so yeah really really sad and then long story short like she gets she gets coerced into this conservatorship well not even coerced like it's a plot against her basically this woman, Louise Lou Taylor, who is a like low-life business manager, allegedly, um, strikes up a friendship with Jamie Spears, Britney's father, who like worships her. She lends him $40,000, which is a clear conflict of interest, and she um, hatches a plan to put Britney Spears under a conservatorship, which basically makes her a slave. Basically means that she has no agency over her body, her mind, what she does, excuse me, what she does, how she spends her time, and also all of her finances and how she runs her estate. It's supposed to be reserved for people who have no mental capacity, cannot feed themselves, cannot care for themselves, or are at a danger to themselves or others. But there are emails printed and published that show that they plotted, how, how carefully they plotted it, even to the degree that they um, waited to file until they knew that they would get the right judge who would um, give them permission to administer psychotropic drugs to Britney Spears because they knew that they knew other judges in the conservatorship system who would not give them that right. They obviously checked who gives what and they waited for the judge that they wanted. Then um, her mom like invited her to Malibu, said she had to come 
she went there her paparazzi boyfriend went there as well and they were like what's going on and basically like they forced her to or they told her what was happening and they basically said you can't fight it if you fight it you're going to lose the kids completely blah 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 they said she couldn't get a lawyer she tried a few times pretty craftily to get a lawyer and um a few lawyers tried to represent her and were struck down by the judge. She got a court-appointed lawyer, who she calls a weird-ass court-appointed lawyer, um, who was on the side of Jamie Spears and Lou Taylor and the conservatorship and did not help her and should actually be disbarred. But the whole thing was kind of pitched to her, like, if you just do this for a couple months like, and settle down, you'll get your kids back and we can like dissolve this. Um, and of course that never happened it was extended I remember it being extended a few times in that first year and then another year and then after that it was just like it just kept going and the longer it went on the less it seems like it was ever going to stop and Brittany describes this time as you know she was just she was just done fighting it just wasn't it just wasn't working anymore everyone was being so nasty to her she just was done fighting and she went on autopilot and she just couldn't handle it anymore. She says her while this is all going on, her mom was wrote a book about all of her troubles called Through the Storm and was promoting it on quote unquote Meredith fucking Vera. I love how she just still like the cursing that she does is like still so funny, but like this is the darkest thing I've ever read. This whole passage. I'm kind I kind of butchered that last piece about how the conservatorship goes in place. Like I would encourage anyone who's interested to read up on it in, in detail. Um, like the book recaps it, but there's also really good like articles and like respected publications and just passages and lawyers' testimonies of how it all went down. And it is so nasty and awful. It is just so nasty and awful. I think especially the part where she wasn't allowed to get her own lawyer. Um, and when she tried, what happened to the lawyers? Like the lawyers were threatened. Um, and she says, like, I can't, I don't understand how the state of California put my father in as conservatorship of my person and my estate when he had a lifetime of alcoholic problems. He never had any experience or success managing finances of, of for even for a family, let alone for, you know, a multi, multi-million dollar estate. He ended up paying himself $6 million and tens of millions of dollars to Louise Taylor and many other of his associates more than what Britney got paid. I mean, Britney was put on an allowance, like a very strict allowance. Um, it's disgusting. I'm sure we're going to get more into the conservatorship in the next couple of chapters, but it's just so dark and really, really, really hard to read. Sorry, I know that I've said that 3,000 times, but that is how I feel. But I wanted to share that recap of part two. I just have one more part to go. There's actually not that much left in it. But yeah, let me know what you think. Love you so much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode. I really appreciate you. You can find us at Allegedly Fabulous everywhere on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Definitely please go ahead and give us a five-star rating if you liked it and a review. Share it with a friend you think will be interested. And we're on social media as well, pretty much everywhere. So Instagram at Allegedly Fabulous, 
threads at allegedly fabulous twitter at allegedly fab i think and tiktok also at allegedly fabulous and you can also get me on instagram at kevin t loftus thank you so much again for listening until next time love you bye